standing in the hospital room, looking down at the parking lot. Rain falling down on the window, cars pulling in and out of the parking lot below, five or six stories up in the St. Luke's downtown Boise Hospital. I had just gone to McDonald's, picked up a Happy Meal, chicken nuggets with barbecue sauce, of course. And within that Happy Meal, I had received a toy. One of the Disney movies at the time, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I remember vividly playing with that toy in the window as I looked below. This was my first memory of the time that I met my younger sister, Lily. She was four years younger than me, but soon we would become best of friends. From walking home together from elementary school, seeing who could be the first to get to the cool chair at home, which was really just the leftmost chair at the bar stool. Our mom would be waiting there with snacks after school, which quickly became all the rage from all of our friends. Me and my sister playing one-on-one wiffle ball, spying on neighbors and our parents, building intricate sheet forts, and building insane Easter bunny and Santa traps. We were best of friends. Now, not only was I older than my sister, but I was also older than all of my other cousins in my family. I was the oldest kid. And so not only was I paving the way for my younger sister, but also for the rest of the kids in the family, bearing that responsibility to keep an eye on the kids at holiday events. And through that, I learned a lot about patience, how to be gentle, and my favorite of all, how to make little kids laugh. And today we're going to talk through how that shaped me into the person I am today and allowed me to enter fatherhood. I'm no perfect, perfect dad. There's things that I would change about what I've done in the last five years with, with my daughter, but I've learned so much along the way. And today I'm here to share a bit about my journey, some stories that I've gone through, and I'll share my seven tips that I wish I could tell my 25-year-old self before my daughter was born. So welcome back to The Greatness Blueprint. Episode 16 starts now. I'll never forget the day my daughter was born. We had arrived at the hospital earlier that evening. We ended up getting sent home. We came a little bit too early. Got some rest again, knowing that we were hours away from our lives being changed forever. A couple hours later, we wake up and we head back to the hospital. We get to the hospital early in the morning, I think seven, six or 7 a.m. We get checked in. And shortly after we get checked in, we find out that the baby's coming soon. So we get rushed to a delivery room. And within 30 minutes, maybe less, my daughter is born. And I'll never forget it. We had a doctor that we were expecting to be there, but because everything happened so fast, we ended up just getting 
the doctor that was on call, that was available. The baby comes out. I cut the umbilical cord. We both get time holding the baby. Her name, Logan. And our lives forever changed. We spent three days in the hospital normalizing ourselves to a lack of sleep, sleeping in the corner in a fold-out chair, something I'm sure many of you dads are familiar with from the nights uh, you spent in the hospital with your kid. Getting some support from the hospital staff, baby crying, mom learning how to feed the baby. Taking advantage of as much hospital food as possible. Knowing that we're about to get the training wheels off, right? We're riding around the hospital with training wheels and they're coming off quick. So two, three days pass. It's time to go home. That's when it really sets in. You get all this support in the hospital and then all of a sudden it's time to go home, right? And they wheel down the mom to the car. You walk down, holding the baby. You put her into the car. You hope that you've configured the the car seat the correct way. You take it to the, the car seat check just to make sure. And then you're off. All the support and help you got in the hospital, a thing of the past. You're now on your own. Two new parents entering into a world of of many unknowns, many challenges, many exciting things, things that are hard. And that's how my journey as a dad started. And I'll say, you know, In the early days after my daughter was born, it was not easy for me. And I know it's very difficult for the mom, and I want to acknowledge that. A lot of, you know, body changes, obviously, hormonal changes that happen to a woman's body as she gives birth. But for a dad, there's also a lot that goes on as well. And for me, the first, I would say three, four, even six months, I had a hard time adapting. I don't know if this is the same experience that all dads had, but for me, it was hard to feel a connection with the baby in the early days. Tried everything I could, right? You you put the baby on your chest, you, you try to feed her with a bottle, but There's not a lot of interaction those first six months. Baby's sleeping a lot, eating a lot, just growing really fast, crying a lot, pooping a lot. And so those first six months, at least for me, were challenging. And it was tough because you want to be the tough one in the situation. You know the mom's been through a lot. And... Her body's trying to 
go back to what it was prior to the pregnancy. And that's a significant change. And so you push some of those things to the side. I, I push some of those, you know, concerns of mine and the things that I was going through to the side. And I think over time they built up and were difficult for me to get through. And I felt like a lot, a lot of the times it's those societal stereotypes. The dad has to be tough. The mom did everything, which is very true. I have to acknowledge that I'm not the one that gave birth. My body did not change. But I also have a new child in my life. My life is also very different. And so it was difficult for me to adapt. So the first three months, my daughter's mom was on maternity leave. And so that allowed me to continue on with some of the same schedule that I had. I was going to work. I would come home. I would help out with the baby and give a baths and put to bed and do my best to support. And then my daughter's mom ended up going back to work. She worked at the time at a local news station and was working night shifts. And so this was when things got really tough for, for both of us, really, where she'd go to work in the mornings. It'd be midnight to 7, 8, 8.30 a.m. And while she was gone, I would watch the baby. And my daughter never took a bottle, so she would cry all night because she was hungry and I couldn't do much to support her. I did my best to try to get her to learn how to take a bottle, but I, it, it was a failure. Something that I wish I could have figured out in hindsight, but never could. And then her mom would come home from work and watch the baby during the day. I would go to work. I would come home. I'd watch the baby. She would get a little bit of rest before she would then take off and go to work again. So it was this very difficult cycle where we were both doing kind of full parenting jobs. We, at the time we didn't have enough money to pay for daycare or anything like that. So we were, we're doing the best we could with, with what we had, but it was, it was tough on both of us, right? We were pretty low on finances. We Get, didn't get to interact a lot. And that put a lot of pressure on our relationship to the point where it eventually we decided that it was best we go our separate ways. And that was a tough conclusion to come to, right? When you enter into having a child. And when you think about it, as you grow up, you never think that you're going to end up on your own. That's not the American dream, right? You want the family unit and the reliability for your kid. So that was tough. That was tough. And so I want to segue that into talking a little bit about co-parenting and some of those dynamics. 
because I know that this is something that a lot of people deal with. We had gotten to the point, like I said, where we had determined that it was best that we go our separate ways. And very thankful for the relationship that we still, we still have and still had at the time where we were able to come to a, an agreement that was flexible, that allowed us both to spend equal amount of time with our daughter, but also flexibility where we could navigate around things, whether it's career, family, travel, and really doing that in the best interest of our daughter at the time. Now, I'd be lying if I said it was easy, right? Not a decision that you make lightly. When you make decisions like this as a parent, there is fallout from it, right? Time is so precious as it is. But when you then have to realize you're splitting time with the other parent, that means that the 18 Christmases that you have as a parent are cut in half. You now have nine. Right? And if you think about the Christmases that really matter through the first maybe 10, 12 years, you have six. And so while we knew it was the best decision, this was something that for me was quite the grieving process, right? You, you have this image of the life that you want to live and you want to, your daughter to have, you want the family there for Christmases, you want mom and dad, they're together on the things that, that matter. And the reality that that was no longer the case is tough to come to. I spent many days, you know, beat myself up about it, understanding, did I make the right decision? Knowing that it was the right decision, but it doesn't make it any easier. For the period of, you know, six, nine months, even a year, it was, it was difficult, right? Dealing with this, this new normal, trying to navigate, transitioning our daughter from house to house, trying to make it as stress-free for her as possible, giving her everything she needs to be a confident little girl that we, we both love and make sure she knows that mom and dad love her very much was important to us. And the only thing that I can think back and say, you know what, maybe this wasn't the worst thing is that she was young enough to where all she remembers is, is mom and dad being in separate houses. And if it would have been later in life, maybe it would have been different where it would have been harder for her, but generally she has taken it in stride and I look back and I think, you know, I'm thankful that it happened when it did. And it's talking a little bit more about co-parenting and some of the household dynamics there. Like I said earlier, once you realize that the time you have is cut in half, it makes you realize that the time you're spending becomes that much more important. And so quality time really rises to the top of, of your importance meter, right? And I'm so thankful 
for some of the things that happened at the time, right? As, as this was all going on, you know, it moved into a new place and shortly thereafter COVID lockdowns and it happened, right? And I know this was devastating for, for many people in the world, but it allowed me to spend time with my daughter every single day at home in, you know, some of the most precious years from, you know, one and a half to three years old, where we were just best of buds, taking breaks to watch cartoons, taking breaks to go on walks around the neighborhood, walk our dogs, play chalk, read stories, just build that connection, that foundation that in my mind can never be broken. And it didn't get easier, right? Still had to split time with, with Logan's mom, but it was something that, you know, allowed for the time that I did have with her to be very quality time, right? I wasn't taking her to daycare. I was working full time and playing daycare as well. So something that was very tough, something that I look back on though, and I'm very thankful for the way that it happened. Now, obviously when you're a single parent, you can't do it all on your own. And I'm so very thankful for the support system that I do have. Both of my parents live in town. My sister moved back into town a couple of years ago and without them, I couldn't do anything that I do today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. I wouldn't be able to focus on getting my health back into a state that I am happy with. I wouldn't be able to work the hours that I do that gave me some of the success that I had early in my career. Oftentimes those things go unnoticed, right? Those people go unnoticed, but if you don't have a support system like that and you don't lean on them when you need them, you are letting yourself down, right? My daughter loves her grandparents and her aunt, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. And it allows me to be the best dad I can be, right? So if you're dealing with the same thing and, and you have that support system, you know how important it is to, to lean on them. Even if you're not a single parent, right? Let's say you have your grandparents in town and you need a date night. You need a weekend away. You need to go spend some time with your friends on vacation and come back and, and be refreshed and be the best parent you can be. So I'm so thankful for them. They've been there for me through it all. And big shout out to them for, for having my back in, in every case. And the last thing I'll say on co-parenting and some of the household dynamics there is, you know, as your, your child grows up and gets a little bit older, they start to ask a little bit of questions, right? At least in the school system we go to, and I know this is probably not common everywhere, but most of the parents are, are together, right? They're not divorced or are separated. And so when we go to birthday parties or 
school pickups. The parents are both there. They're both involved. Um, I know it's becoming more common to have separate parents, but you get the question of why, why do you and mommy not, not live together anymore? And those are tough questions to, to hear, right? Because you want to be as truthful as you can. And so that's what you do. You're, you're transparent. You say, you know, mommy and I decided that it was best. We, we live in separate houses. We love you very much. And we want to do everything we can to make sure that you're a happy girl. It hurts. It stings a little bit when you have to say that, but you do what's best for your child and you answer questions in a way that is truthful because that's what they deserve. So switching gears a little bit, moving on to the, the next section of this, this podcast today, I want to talk a little bit about how I've grown as an individual since becoming a dad. When I first started, I thought I was a patient person. Comes to find, come to find out that I'm, you know, I wasn't all that patient at the time. And I think it became most apparent in my job at work. I was in a leadership position when my daughter was born. I'd been a team lead at the time, which oversees a team of 10, 12 people. I'd been in that role for two, three years. And I was, I was fine. I was a pretty good team lead, but I would say I was pretty tough, right? I was a tough person myself. I like to shoot straight, be direct with people. And that doesn't work for everybody. And as I became a dad, I started to realize that you have to have more patience. You have to have a personalized approach and I became much more calm. If you're going from an environment where your daughter's crying and screaming and you're up all night and you can't sleep and you know, you're frustrated and there's, it feels like the world is just crumbling around you. You go into work and someone messes up a project, a client's mad at you. It all seems like just rolls off your shoulder. There's harder things in life get one hour of sleep or an angry client. An angry client is no big deal. I can handle that all day. So it really taught me as a person to be more patient and personalized in my approach with people. Next was really teaching my daughter. And I would say that prior to her being born, I was somebody who moved really fast. I was not the best trainer, wasn't the best at communicating things in a simplified fashion. I would move fast and I would expect others to rise to that speed. And I wouldn't always communicate very articulately to ensure that they were able to. But you realize quickly that with a kid, you have to slow things down, simplify your message, and spend the time, invest the time to make sure they understand it. And slowing down and reading every night to my daughter, love story time, 
teaching her good manners and how to eat, potty training, all those things that take so much patience and resiliency and not just a quick one second lesson have paralleled into my life where I slow down, simplify the message and keep, keep at it, right? Sometimes you need a little consistency for it to stick. Next is health and lifestyle. And I would say this is something that I've struggled with as a dad. I would say when, when Logan was born, I was probably in my most physical fit shape of my life to that point. I was going to CrossFit workouts in the mornings and I built a lot of muscle. I was, you know, 215 pounds doing CrossFit five days a week and in really good shape. As some of the things happened that I've outlined where her mom was off at work in the evenings and there was just a lot of, not a lot of time to spend working out, push that to the side, ate a little bit more unhealthy, wasn't working out, maybe ordering too much delivery. And I got to the point where, you know, health and lifestyle took a back seat. And my main focus became making sure I'm staying afloat at work taking care of my daughter, Logan, and that's it. I became imbalanced. And so as I've grown in, in my life over the last, I would say three years, I've realized that if I want to be around for the long haul, I have to take it seriously. I want Logan to want to be healthy. I want her to look up to me and say, dad's working out. He's fit. He's fast. He's able to play with me. And I think the biggest thing that hit me was a couple years ago, I, I started picking up Logan and she was two, three years old at the time. And I felt like she was heavy. Hadn't been working out in a while. And I knew that I had to get this in gear. If I wanted to hold my daughter, as long as I possibly could, I had to get stronger and that kicked me into gear. And so over the last two years, I wouldn't say it's a linear route, right? There's been times when I've had a big push in my health. I've gotten in pretty good shape and then I've fallen off and then I keep going again and I keep, keep at it. It's been a, it's been a long journey up and down. There are times when you plan a workout and you can't because your, your kid gets sick. And so you, you can't end up going. Or something happens and you have to watch your daughter that night instead of her going with her mom. That stuff happens all the time. And really what kicked me into gear finally was my Achilles rupture earlier this year. Right? I had been taking my health fairly seriously, but not in all areas. I wasn't eating as healthy as I could. I was working out a lot, but not eating super healthy. And so once I got my Achilles rupture, I, I had to refocus. Order meal prep, cook my food, go to the gym, be consistent. And over the last five, six months, as I've been recovering from my Achilles rupture, 
I've gotten to the point where I'm in the best shape of my life for at least the last 10 years. I'm hitting personal bests in my lifts. And I'm doing that because I know that if I am healthy, that I can be the best possible dad I can be. Last thing I want to touch on is balancing personal identity. I think this is an important one for, for many dads out there. You have to be willing to bet on yourself and do things for yourself in order to see success. It's easy as a dad to say, you know what? All I'm going to do is focus on going to job, nine to five job that I don't like, but I need the money to pay for my daughter's school, whatever it is. Don't sacrifice these years for that. Bet on yourself. And that's where I felt like I was getting over the last couple of years. And I got to the point where I wasn't doing things for myself. Sure, I was focusing a lot on being the best dad I could be, but I wasn't the best me that I could be. And I needed to change that. And so that's why I started looking at starting my own business. That's why I started this podcast. Because when I'm doing things that make me fulfilled, make me feel good inside, I am more likely to be able to be a great dad or do the things that I know can help others. So if your dad going through that same thing, dad or any other parent, you're a great parent, you know you are, but you're forgetting about some of the things that make you who you are or make you excited. Don't be afraid to make a little bit of time for yourself because it can make all the difference when you go back and hang out with your children. The next thing I want to talk about here is as parents, we, we have these big milestones, right? It causes you to stop and think about everything that you've done to that point. And I think every year when you have these birthdays for your kid, for me, at least it's been one of those things where it kind of hits, right? Sure. as one-year-old birthday, then two-year-old, then you have a five-year-old. And it really starts to set in that time is passing very quickly and you have to make the most of it. And so, you know, if I look back on the first five years of my daughter's life, there's a lot of things that stand out, but some of the most, some of my favorite memories aren't the big extravagant trips we took, right? I did take her to Disneyland when she was four. I took her to the Oregon coast a couple times when she was three and when she was five, we've done a lot of really cool things like that. But the memories that stick out most to me aren't those trips. It's the normal day to day singing silly songs in the car on the way to school. Someday she'll be embarrassed by it, but today she laughs. Right? giving her big hugs when I drop her off at kindergarten, knowing that someday she won't even want to be seen with me when I drop her off. Those little things, the little things you experience on a day-to-day basis, those are the things that to me as a parent are the most memorable and the ones that you should make sure you remember the most. And as you, you think about 
memories or things that you've done, you also have to think a little bit about the future. All right. So for me, it's the next big step is where's my daughter going to go to school? I was very fortunate as a kid where I went to the same preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school as a group of friends, like five or six of us all went through the same schools together. We had a tight group of friends all the way through. And it was really good for me, right? You don't have to build new friendships where you feel like you're an outsider a little bit, and it gives you a strong core. If you have a strong core, everything else comes easy, whether it's athletics or schooling. You don't have to worry about something just as fundamental as having friends at school to play with. And so for me, it's, she's exiting preschool. How can I set her up in a similar situation where she's with friends that she'll be with through the end of high school? And it's stressful, especially with a split household like it is. We have to make the best decision for, for Logan. And that's at the forefront of our mind. And then from there, right, it's, it's starting to plan and prep for, for college so that if she chooses to go on to college and get a, an academic degree like that, that we're able to support her in that journey. And so starting to plan for that as well has been something that's top of mind for me. So last segment here today, obviously I shared a lot about my story personally, the things that I've gone through and some of the things that I've faced as a dad. Some of that may relate to you, but wanted to pull out seven things that I wish I could go back to my 25-year-old self and tell, tell myself, right? Things that I wish I would have known at the time, things that I've learned just over the years, but didn't always recognize until later on. The first is be intentional with your time. As I've talked about a little bit, time stops for nobody, right? It's constantly ticking. Our kids are getting older every second, you know, you don't see them for a day or two and you feel like they've grown an inch, which they may have. And as a parent, it becomes very evident when you look in the rearview mirror that time is going really fast. But in the moment, sometimes you forget about it and you're busy or you're stressed out looking at your phone. Shoot, I am guilty of this where I have a, a busy work day and I'm, I'm letting it bleed into my evening a little bit, making sure that a critical project gets across the finish line that evening. And my daughter's yelling at me, dad, 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 dad. That's a lesson I wish I would have learned earlier. Time stops for nobody. The stress, the work, it, it can wait, it'll be there. But that time with your kid is limited. So take advantage of it. Second is practice makes better. And I know growing up, I heard a lot of practice makes perfect. And I think that's something that I think is a fallacy, right? We're, none of us are perfect. We won't be perfect in anything we do. And all we can hope to do is continue to get better. And as a parent, I think this is so true because we are constantly faced with changing kids. Our kids are growing up, they're developing their personalities, they're growing into the, the human that they will be someday. And every day we're, we're dealing with a new human, right? We see that change. And so we're not going to know how to navigate all those situations. Right? 
how to navigate the first date that my daughter goes on. I, I don't know how I'm going to navigate that because I haven't been through it yet. So continue to practice, recognize that there's going to be things that you're not perfect at, continue to, to refine and know that as long as you're giving it your best effort, you're doing the best you can. Next is acknowledge your limits. It's easy as a parent to get a little bit burned out, right? Your kid maybe has a lot of energy or a lot of emotions for, from something that's going on. And maybe it, maybe you reach a breaking point. We're all human. I know it can happen. For me, what's been helpful is if I do reach a breaking point like that, where I'm frustrated with the situation, I walk away for a few minutes, walk into the other room, get a quick breather, come back into the situation. I'm able to talk it through with my daughter. We're able to work through whatever we're working through, whether it's a disagreement, whether her emotions are high for some reason, and we can deal with it with clearer heads. So know your limits, right? If you need to take a step away, completely something you should do. Next is number four, don't squash creativity, but know the limit. All right. If you have a kid who is painting a kitten and they're using pink, blue, and red, let's just say the colors of the rainbow. And you walk in and you say, kitties aren't rainbow color. Why aren't you coloring them brown? So the kid grabs a new kitty and colors it brown. You didn't mean it in the moment, but what you told the kid is your creativity does not fit into this world. So the next time they see something and they're like, I want to color this rainbow, but the world doesn't let me do rainbow. They won't do it. It's a small nuance, right? It could be something as simple as that that could squash the creativity of your child. Instead, accentuate it. Oh, I love rainbow kitties. Those are my favorite. Feed into it. They're doing something unique. That might just be the start of something spectacular for them. Next, your kid is human. Treat them like one. Often, or maybe not often, but it can be the case where sometimes we feel like we are superior to our kids, right? They're, they're children and we're adults and therefore we have the final say. I've been there. I've done it. But that's not always the right approach, right? They are humans just like us. They have emotions. They have feelings. They're a little, a, a tiny human. And so we have to treat them as such. If they have emotions, that's okay. That's what they're feeling. Acknowledge it, work through it with them instead of trying to treat them like a child. Six, celebrate the effort, not the results. I think this one is so important and something that I think is becoming more we're all becoming more aware of as, you know, different science-backed reports come out on this. But there was a study done on kids that 
were praised for receiving A's, celebrating the result of, of getting an A on their report cards. As a result, those kids took a dip in their motivation after that praise versus the kids who received B's, but were praised for their efforts, right? So instead of saying, great job on getting an A or great job on getting a B even, I saw all the work you put into studying for that test. I'm so proud of you for the effort you put in. Great job on getting that B. See how different that feels? That makes you feel like the effort you put in is being validated. That that effort is exactly what you should be striving for. Sure, the end result will be what the end result will be. Will be. But if you have and can celebrate your kid putting in that level of effort, that effort will continue on in anything that they do in their life. And the last is, if you haven't taught them, don't expect them to know. I've seen this a few times, whether I'm at the grocery store or some other store where there'll be a kid doing something, whether it's grabbing something off the shelf or grabbing some candy or, you know, dancing around in, in the aisles or running down the aisles in the store, whatever the case is, right? And you kind of hear it from a distance. Hey, stop running or, hey, put that away or don't touch that. Did you teach them not to touch that? I was walking through an antique store with my daughter a couple weeks ago. A lot of breakable things, right? She's five years old. I could have done the same. Hey, don't touch that. Instead, I took a different approach. As we went in, I said, hey, Logan, there's a lot of breakable things in here. Let's make sure that if we touch something, we do so very gently and make sure we're careful where we walk so we don't bump and knock anything over. She said, okay, dad. And she was very careful. She walked around. She said, hey, dad, can I touch this? And she was very respectable. Right? A very different approach than only teaching when something fails versus teaching in advance, being proactive, and making sure they know prior to the scenario. So those are my seven tips for my 25-year-old self that I wish I would have known prior to becoming a dad. And hopefully they're helpful for you in your life as a parent. And to conclude today's deep dive into fatherhood, I'd like to leave you with one thought. Fatherhood, like life, is not about perfection. It's about progress, learning, and growing every step of the way. It's about being there through the thick and thin, learning from all of your experiences, and showing up day after day. My challenge to all of us dads and parents out there, embrace the journey, cherish every moment, and never stop growing. Let's redefine fatherhood and parenthood for the modern age, learning from every experience, and making sure we have a relentless pursuit of growth. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of The Greatness Blueprint. I'd love it if you could subscribe and like my podcast and please come back for episodes in the next coming weeks. And as always, stay on your path, stay inspired, and above all, stay great. We'll see you soon.